0: If you have a Bible with you, uh, go ahead and open with me to Colossians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to begin in verse 12 in just a minute. Uh, we're, we're continuing a series called Better Together. Before we jump in on this series, what I would like to do um, is just take a moment uh, and celebrate what God has been doing. Um, today marks the seven-year anniversary of Christ Community Church uh, on our weekly gathering. So that's, that's a lot of fun. If you can't tell, this is not our permanent home. And uh, we uh, they always say, like, if you're a church plan at what point do you become like a church? And I, I say when there's people that actually show up on a weekly basis... Uh, contribute their time and treasure, Um, then you're a church, but we also want to be a church-planting church. And so Christ Community Church exists to glorify God by making followers of Jesus Christ who are growing and multiplying, and part of that multiplication is church-planting. By God's grace, we have directly planted two churches, one in Bryan uh, College Station, the other one in San Marcos, Texas, and we've been a part of several other church plants uh, throughout the globe, and so uh, it's been a wonderful season. Um, as, I, as I was reflecting on seven years of church planting, uh, I think of the, the many cool stories, the baptisms and the redemption uh, and all that, but I also think through, like, wow, I can't believe it's seven years. We've been here seven years. I've, I've made it seven years. Like um, I had people early when I was planting, um, some people saying, like, when are you going to plant? Why haven't you planted yet? Other people like, I don't really see him as a, like a pastor, like I seem like as a speaker or whatever. I had people say that. I had people say like, oh, you'll last three years and you'll get bored and you'll move on. Um, I will say that of the boredom I've experienced over the last seven years, very little has been surrounded by church or church planting. Um, and so, but to be honest with you, I'm kind of shocked I'm here at seven years too. Uh, half the time, I feel like Balaam's donkey. Uh, just the, the, <laughs> I won't give direct reference in Old King James Version, but uh, the donkey that God chooses to use as a mouthpiece uh, for his glory. And, and ultimately, that's our point. It's, it's never been a desire to plant the Casey Show. It's been my desire to plant a church that honors Jesus and strengthens families and reaches a community and sees lost people found and the dead come to life and the newness of life that walks through valleys with people and celebrates the mountains with people. And um, many of you here um, have been a faithful part of that along the way, and so just Corporately, I want to say thank you. Um, All of you here are um, evidences of God's willingness and kindness to answer prayer. So I'm glad you're here. I want to say a special uh, set of thanks to my wife, Stephanie, uh, who has been a faithful co-laborer, friend. Um, Some of the miracles that I was recounting early this morning as I was praying was, our marriage, I believe, is stronger than it was seven years ago. Um, My children like me even more than they did seven years ago which is a miracle for a lot of pastors um, and and dads in general right because as they get older they have their own thoughts and opinions and we disagree Um, that uh, i have solid friendship we have great leaders we have great volunteers Uh, we're baptizing six people today four of whom are children Um, and so those of you who volunteer in the children's ministry and want to poke your eyes out half the time i want you to know seeds are taking root and are are sprouting and fruit is being born um, so out of the six people um, being baptized a four are children who have come to faith and um, their moms and dads have been partnered with to to hear the gospel take root in their lives and and to see them transition and transform not just towards better behavior but towards eternity and 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 so when we plant and when we think it's really easy to get, you get stuck and sometimes in the minutiae but the the ultimate treasure of what we're seeing happen here is god's faithfulness to himself and his faithfulness to his promises, and the faithfulness to his own glory that we get to taste and enjoy in a little bit. And so just wanted to celebrate to that end. After the service, we'll be going for baptism. I hope you'll stick around. We're going to be having barbecue that's free. Um, if you want to write a little extra in your check top in the basket, that's totally fine. We won't say no to that. Um, I think there's going to be a kickball tournament, uh, some bounce houses, face painting. Uh, I hope to get some uh, eagle's wings or something near my eyes. It'll be Now I have to do it, don't I? Okay, anyways, I was totally off the cuff, and I was not intending to have eagle's wings on my eyes. But anyways, uh, just just a wonderful day to celebrate God's faithfulness and goodness. I'm going to pray one more time, and let's dive in uh, as we continue our marriage series, Better Together. Father, we come and we thank you so much for your faithfulness and your kindness towards us in and through your son, Jesus Christ, that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. And then you rose him from the dead, defeating sin, death, and Satan, so that through him we might experience the power of God in our lives. And so, Lord, we thank you for seven years. We pray for 70 plus more of faithful service to your gospel in this community as a church family. And Father, now as we open your word and we Think through what it looks like to have healthy, gospel-centered communication patterns in our home, beginning with our spouse, that you would help correct us in our thinking and realign us towards your purposes, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, we began the Better Together sermon series, and my point I made last week was experiencing and understanding God's grace towards sinners is foundational to a healthy and unified marriage, that until we understand that we were created by God, we have rebelled against God, and that God has sent his son Jesus to rescue us back towards God, and then restore us towards each other, until we begin with that foundational and surrounding truth that having a good marriage or a happy marriage isn't possible, Right? You might have enjoyable, but it's all transactional. If the person does for me or whatever, then, then, we, go, then we go along with it. If they don't, then they're gone. And, and I gave comparisons between a life-giving marriage versus a life-taking marriage. Do we go and are we life-giving towards one another or do we require? Is it transactional or is it relational? We talked a bit about having and creating new rhythms and habits in our marriage that are honoring to God and helpful to one another and serving and uniting each other towards the grace of God through Jesus Christ. As I shared last week, most married couples don't seek help for the issues they're having until about three to five years after they need to seek help. And oftentimes it's too late. And when people have come to me, and I've, I, I look out here and I see many couples that I've had the joy um, of walking through hard seasons with, and the number one thing that I find in marriages, next to the foundation of faith, what they need is faith in Christ, but the number one thing I find that causes significant struggles in marriage is that most of us have not learned how to communicate well. We, we don't communicate well. We don't say what we want or what we need, and when we do, it's usually amped up or passive or harmful. Um, and so my, my main point is very simple today that Jesus is honored through clear and caring communication. Jesus is honored through clear and caring communication. Some of you have complained that the slides move too quickly, so Chris back there is going to make sure you have time. If, for those of you are taking notes, if some of you want to take pictures on your phone, I know that you're not taking pictures of me, and so I won't strike a pose. Um, uh, and also, for those of you that are visiting today, I want, I want to be clear, we typically teach through books of the Bible. We just finished through the Gospel of Mark. Once we finish this series, we're going into Jonah. Once we finish Jonah, then we're going into 1 Peter. Once we're going into 1 Peter, we're talking about generosity of God towards us and how then we respond. And then following that, we're launching headlong into a study of Exodus. So just so you know, we're a Bible-preaching church, and even in topical series, you will get plenty of bible just wanted to give that caveat because I know we have visitors here today just so that there's no surprises moving forward. I know a lot of you don't like surprises. So if you have any problem with that preaching schedule, uh, pray. Okay, so <laughs> Jesus is honored through clear and caring communication. That honors the Lord, right? And if we exist to glorify God by enjoying him forever, that if we exist to glorify God by honoring Jesus and becoming more like him, then we've got to think through how we communicate. I've noticed it all the time. People communicate for a lot of different reasons. The foundational dictionary definition of communication is either the imparting or exchanging of information or news, or means of connection between people or places in particular. And I want to focus on communication particularly. Yes, communicating information. But more than anything, I want to look at communication as a means of connection. How we connect. Prayer is communication. And why should we communicate? Why do we care about communication? Because we were created by God, and God is a communicator. God has gone to great lengths to communicate with us. God creates with us through his creation. I've met many people who slowed down, and as they visited the Grand Canyon, or they've seen the mountains or the ocean, and slowed down to take in all that has been made, it has been one of the ways that God has revealed himself to them through creation. But God doesn't just leave it to creation and let us make up what we will. He then also creates through his law, providing a, a way for us to be unified with him, to know him, and to live with him in an obedient manner. But the Lord went even a step further by communicating to his creation through his, his own son, Jesus. And Jesus is a communication of God, a relational connectivity with people who are far from God, enemies of God, at odds with God, But through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, reconciliation with God. God communicates his care, his passion for his creation, his desire to not allow sin, death, and Satan to have the final say, but that he's gonna work this reunification and this connectivity through his son Jesus. He communicates. When we talk about communicating the gospel, we're not just giving words or facts, we're communicating God's communication. And God also communicates to us through the Bible. That's why we preach from the Bible. That's why we beat our heads against the podium at times, saying, read your Bible, read your Bible. When people come into my office and say, man, I feel really far from God. Why aren't you all doing more programs, this, that, blah, blah, blah? I'm like, do you know how to read? I just want to begin there. I want to ask you, if you're like, I feel far from God right now. Okay, do you know how to read? If you don't, do you know how to listen? Because this thing is in audio form as well. I'm not trying to be condescending. And let me help you. If you've never been taught how to study the Bible, go to the Gospel of John, read one chapter a day, and ask, what does it say? What does it mean? Not what does it mean to me, but what does it mean? And then how do I apply it? Or how do I obey it? If you're like, I just don't know, then get one of these that's called a study Bible that smart people have helped you fill in some of the gaps. Like Braylon, she's 11 years old. She comes in, like, I'm hungry. And I'm like, have you checked the kitchen for stuff called food? If you have, go make some and put it in your pie hole. Not rocket science. Now, you might be feeling far from God because you're struggling. We want to walk with you in that, create environments for you to hear from God. But God has given us his word. And and if you really don't know how to read, I'm not knocking you. I'm just saying, like, listen to it. Be around people who do. And then if, if you literally don't know how to read, please let us know. We have so many homeschooling mothers that would love to teach you songs and how to read, that somebody can help figure it out. We have educators that can teach you, right? Learn to read. That's why I tell my daughter, like, I don't care about you enjoying books. I want you to enjoy God. That's why I want you to learn and read. But God communicates to us through his word. So communication is important to God. And if it's important to God, then it's important to us. But it's also essential to your marriage, And even if you're here and you're not yet married or you've already been married or you're currently married or whatever, communication will help you a a long way uh, going. And I meet very few healthy and good communicators, including myself. I'm sharp-tongued, I'm quick-witted, and I'm a bad listener at times. Selective listener. I'm aware. Jesus is growing me. My wife is helping me. So... Just so you know, I, I, I'm with you. I'm not like, y'all, I got this figured out. Here's how to be fixed. I'm saying, no, here, here's some ways we can learn and grow and focus. Because we start getting this. Our prayer life will increase. Our interactions will increase. Our marriages will become more enjoyable. Our kids won't, um, at least they'll understand where we're coming from. So with me in Colossians 3, beginning in verse 12. Paul's talking about setting our minds on the things of above, focusing on eternal things, not just the immediate things. He's then talking about putting away these sinful patterns and behaviors that sin has then made within us instinctual and um, and, and acceptable in many ways. And he's saying, hey, put those things away. And then he says, okay, when those are removed, replace them with these things. So as Christians, here's, here's how the Lord is working and inviting us to be more like Christ. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. Healthy communication begins with healthy posture. It's not on the slide, but that's worth writing down. Healthy communication begins with a healthy posture. And the posture I'm talking about is a posture of heart before the Lord. Paul's saying is when we turn our backs from sinful patterns and behaviors, we then turn ourselves back to Christ and begin to apply and put on that which he has given to us by his spirit. These abilities. He says, put on then. Why? Because you are God's chosen ones. If you're a follower of Christ, you are chosen by God. And being chosen by God means that you have an inheritance and that you have an opportunity to then align with what God wants for you. As chosen ones, holy and beloved, set apart and loved, you are loved. If you're wondering the why in all of these things in the posture, it's because the sovereign holy God who created all things would have been completely right to to condemn us all, but rather redeemed those who believe in Christ, chose us to faith in Christ sets us apart as his own, and he chooses to love us. Because of this, we respond with compassionate hearts. We're not always looking like, their behavior is affecting me, therefore I'm going to be offended at their behavior, but rather saying, like, what's going on? We we replace condemnation with curiosity. We come to the table saying, okay, The ground at the, I don't know if you heard this, the ground at the cross is always even, right? Or level, right? There's some sins that have greater consequences than others in this life, okay? Before a holy God, every sin is condemnable. And so I think coming towards our spouse and remembering that, hey, we have been so well loved that compassion can replace condemnation. That's hard. That's why we don't practice it like when we're mad, like pull out pull out Colossians 3.12 and Pastor Casey's list, and then start trying to figure it out. We start thinking through it as we go on. How then shall we be because we have been so in love? We put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility. Humility is not thinking lesser of yourself. John Piper put it this way. Humility is not thinking lesser of yourself. It's the miracle of not thinking about yourself at all. It's the shift of focus from what we see in the mirror back to the hope we have in God and the redemption he gives to us. Put on this humility. Put on this meekness. Not this aggressive, I'm going to fight to win, but rather, let's come alongside and find an answer and solution together. And, write this one down, circle it. Patience. Patience. So, when we have people who are impatient with us, we feel justified in our impatience. One of the top reasons I get the opportunity to open my mouth and share the gospel with someone is because of a display of patience, which in my personality is a supernatural act of God. But more on many occasions, I'm sitting, someone's messed up an order, they've done something wrong, and Stephanie knew me back. Back in the day when I was like a new believer and I was like, if it comes out with tomatoes on it, I'm sending it back. I was that guy. But when we exercise true patience, it's a a, a habit to be formed with people. I'd rather be accused of being too patient than too impatient. Well, where does that patience come from? Well, I really try hard. No! It's focusing on the loving kindness, the long-suffering of God towards his creation. God's patience has spread over all time. So if you're walking with the Lord and growing in faith, then patience increases. Patience isn't permission. right? We're not just patient with bad behavior and just want people to continue to harm themselves. Right? That, that's laziness, not patience. Patience is coming alongside saying, look, man, I know this is hard. I know you're falling down again. Let's get back up. Let's fall forward. Let's keep moving. It's, it's this idea of like just not immediately needing your way, but trusting in God. Listen, God's better at changing a heart than you are. I'll go all in on that bet every time. And please be patient for my poker reference. bearing with one another, long-suffering, staying with. Why? Because our God's a long-suffering God. And if one has a complaint against the other, go and tell them thoroughly everything they've done wrong every time. Wait, it doesn't say that. It says, bear with them, forgiving each other. Why? As the Lord has forgiven you. We'll unpack that a little more in just a bit, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been forgiven of sin, which ultimately sin is the reason why Christ had to be crushed on the cross. So even if your sin is prettier or even less frequent, outside of Christ's love, you're still condemned. Without God's rescue through Jesus Christ, you're equally as guilty. And so as you have been forgiven, you also must, you must forgive. And above all, above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So, so we've taken these things off and we're, we're putting on these things, but above all, we put on love. And, and love always has context, and we'll, we'll dive into that in just a bit. But this idea of love, it doesn't say put on, muster up this feeling of love. The love that the Bible's talking about throughout these scriptures on love is a proactive verb action, not merely a sentiment or feeling. Verse 15, well, where does this power, where does this source come from? And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. What would happen if we just actually started waking up every day and listing off three things that we're actually grateful for? I know that sounds like self-help, right? But all truth is God's truth. And we have a lot to be grateful for. Woke up this morning, it was 69 degrees in my house because I forgot that it's April and I needed my heater. (laughs) And I was thankful for my fluffy socks and my sweater I could put on as I went to make my coffee. And I was thankful for the coffee. Then I was thankful for the light that I could sit under. I was thankful for my study Bible that makes up for my intellectual inefficiencies. And then I was reflecting on how thankful I am for you all and for the mercy of God that we're here, right? What would happen in your marriage if you started just focusing on, hey, I'm thankful about this, about her, this, and this? If you have a hard time coming up with three, start with one, and then open your eyes and get over yourself. And some of you need to start with, she's still here. Amen. All right, let's go about our day, right? You, some, that's just, some of you, that's where you start, dudes. She's put up with having to be my mom rather than my mate. Should I get going on that, guys? Some of you are like, no, oh, stop, man. Be thankful. This Thanksgiving, why? why are we thankful? We're thankful because God could have killed us forever and tormented us forever, but he gave his own son to endure that so that we don't have to. But rather through him, we get to enjoy the full blessings of restoration with the creator of the universe. So with this Thanksgiving, we get over this grumbling. And how do we sustain this? We try harder. No, no, no. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We memorize scripture. We preach the gospel to ourselves. We remember we were once sinners, yet Christ died for us. That Since we've been so well forgiven, we are then called to forgive as we've been forgiven. We let the word of God, the truth of God, dwell in us richly. And from that we let it overflow, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanks, thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And the way that you communicate with your spouse is worship. You're going to worship God or you're going to worship the enemy. Whatever you're doing, whatever motivation, whatever motivation, it is an overflow. It is a giving worth or value. It is a thank you or do better. If you're new here or visiting, I do yell, but I'm not angry with you. Just a memo. I have a cro brow, so it looks more mad than I am. My five-year-old always asks Stephanie, he's like, is Daddy mad? She's like, no, he's just passionate. I just care loudly. But whatever you do, And then that's a gauge like, man, I was doing that selfishly. I was doing that for my own gain. I was doing that to cause pain or harm. I was projecting my junk on that person. You can then own it and and change your thinking and change your direction and say you're sorry. I'm not expecting any of us to leave here and be like, I'm now a perfect communicator. My hope is that we're more aware and treasuring of Christ and then allowing the gravity of who he is and how he is and what he's doing to then inform more regularly how we engage in interpersonal relationship. And this idea of love, like I said a minute ago, everyone's just, I just don't love them anymore. No, if you're saying he or she doesn't love you anymore, what you're saying is they don't please me like they used to. They don't do for me what they used to do for me. Me, 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 me. Your problem in that moment is no longer pleasure from a spouse, it's idolatry. You're trying to find worth, value, and meaning in a person rather than the creator. If you're not able to love people that are hard to love, then you're not connected to the source of love who gave his son. I don't love him anymore. Quite honestly, today, so what? Covenant is more about meaning and feeling. Covenant is about trusting the one whom we're covenanting with that he remains eternally love when we're not. You can say amen to that. I was about to amen my own sermon, but that's arrogant. (laughs) Amen! What's his problem? I don't love him. Okay. We had this friend Chris back when we were young, newly married. His wife was super emotional. Chris ate nails for breakfast, I think. Scientist, like, like just emotionally, like, he's aware of emotions, he just doesn't experience many. And so he's like, he's empathetic towards it. But his wife, Monique, would come and tell him, she'd be like, I don't feel like I love you today. For me, I'd like crumble to the floor, suck my thumb, and call three therapists. He's like, okay, you'll feel better tomorrow. <laughs> Literally. Literally, that's, that's how he would handle that. He loved Jesus. He loved his wife. And he was like, you'll feel better tomorrow. And we asked her, I asked her one time, I said, does that happen? She's like, yeah, most of the time. <laughs> Just by being able to say it made me like, trust him more. and like, I felt like I loved him more because I could trust him with that. Like, ladies, I wouldn't be like, that's the solution. <laughs> Rex, I don't like you today. I hate your guts, but, and, you know, Rex might take off, right? So, there's no man named Rex here. And if you're visiting named Rex, I'm not talking about your marriage. This, this tension, this love. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So when you say, I love you, is that what you mean? Patient, kind, not putting yourself first, not arrogant or rude, I love you, but blank. Is, is that, because that's not love. And the reason we know that's not love is because that's not God, and God is love. Love is not God, God is love. Love's not sovereign, God is sovereign, God is love, therefore, since he created love, he gets to define it. Most of us aren't in love, we're in like or we're in lust. And, and so, Maybe instead of always looking at the problems your spouse is giving, maybe you look in your own heart before a holy and powerful God and say, God, do more work. That's what I have to do. Love is patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy or boast, it's not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful. I get irritable. Anybody else get irritable? Y'all are irritating me because you're lying right now. It's not irritable or rude. Anybody here rude? I've seen some of you in the parking lot. It doesn't insist on its own way. Listen, if, you don't, if you've never memorized Scripture before, start with 1 Corinthians 13, or, yeah, 4-7, after John 3.16. Because we know that John 3.16 is like the glue that holds our faith together. I'm kind of kidding. It's a good verse. But start memorizing this verse, letting the, dwell on this passage. Let this be the gauge for your love. Because not only is this how we are to love, but guess what? This is how God loves. Doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. So we're like, hey, I'm going to accept people for all that they're doing and affirm everything they're doing because I'm loving. That's not loving. That's hatred. That's laziness. That's self-preservation. Love does not rejoice at things that go against the source of love. God but delights in what's true. Now, it doesn't mean we become hateful when people are doing things that are against God. It means that we love them enough to have hard series of conversation, inviting them to know the restorative and healing power of Jesus Christ. We love. Communication rooted in this type of love is an effective, consequential communication. And you can either behave like a fool or you can behave like a wise person. We gotta stop acting like, well, I was acting angry. No, you're acting like a fool. If you're obeying Jesus, that's wisdom. If you're not obeying Jesus, you're being a fool. And I realized when I started putting that label on things, I don't like being a fool. I like being angry. I like being irritable. I don't mind occasionally being rude, but when it starts saying like, but that's foolish. That is foolishness. That's foolish behavior. I'll sense a bit more offensive to myself. And pulls up the handbrake of being like, oh, I don't want to be a fool. I don't, if you read in Proverbs, I try to read a proverb every day according to the day of the month. So I read Proverbs 15 this morning. Fools don't go anywhere good. Yet most of us love the grace of God, but love acting a fool. And that comes out in how we communicate. Proverbs 18, 2 says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. So if it's more about you being heard than you understanding, you're being a fool. Proverbs 20 verse 5, is one of my life verses, is the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out, will look beyond the surface, will go beyond the symptoms saying, what's going on? Help me understand that. I don't get it. And press in and explore and be curious and walk with, with compassion and love and grace with the whole aim of Redemption and restoration. Prepare and rich is something that Dr. John vanderke is, um, is certified to train people in, something I've been certified in for years, breaks down very simply and does a great job talking about the two key ingredients practically of dealing with healthy communication is one assertiveness, which is the ability to express your feelings and ask for what you want in your relationship. Assertiveness. Like a lot of us think assertiveness is like you gotta be a jerk, right? In order to be assertive, you have to be mean or rude or loud or interrupting. No, that's not. Assertiveness is simply just you're able to express your feelings and ask for what you want in your relationship. I don't know is an answer, it is not a good final answer. My habit early on was letting my emotions get the best of me and throw out words until something stuck. And if you've been around me, Or work with me. Brent knows that. I'll get together like words for like 45 minutes. And then at minute 46, is like, and this is what I want. And you're like, thank the Lord. I don't do that anymore because he's an attorney and his hourly rate is higher than what I used to pay him. So I think through everything I want and then communicate it. But but it's, you know, I, I, I have what I want. There's a great book that you've heard me talk about called Crucial Conversations. It doesn't have JPPs, Jesus per pages, but all truth is God's truth. And one of the main questions says, when you're feeling the fight or flight kick in, wanting to abandon, you ask, what do I want? I want to feel heard. I want to feel respected. I don't want Chinese food. Whatever. You think through what you want, and you express those, your feelings, and ask for what you want in your relationship. The way that we handle assertiveness is not through defensiveness, but through active listening. The purpose of active listening isn't to just take whatever's said and agree that it's true. The purpose of active listening is to affirm what's being said, to seek understanding around it, and then to address it. Active listening is the ability to let your partner know you understand them by restating their message. So if I'm hearing you correctly, if I bring home Chinese food, you will slash my tires. Is that what you're saying? Yes. We're not having Chinese food. Unless you want new tires. Active listening. Seeking understanding. The ways of a man's heart is like deep waters, and a man of understanding draws it out. It's not interrogation. It's not leading the witness. It is coming and saying, I'm hearing you say this. Is this what you mean? Is this what you mean? Are you saying that you don't like this, want this, whatever? Is that what you're saying? No, 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 no. It's not. Okay, well, give me more. Tell me more about that. It's not fixing, it's hearing. Another verse for you to memorize, uh, James 1, 19 through 20, especially if you're given to anger. and I've heard some of you say that you're given to anger. You've told me that. If your reaction is anger, then, then, then memorize this. This is something that haunts me. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why? For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That doesn't mean we never feel angry. right? Paul says in another place, be angry, but do not sin. So there are things that should make us angry. But what we do with that anger and how we handle that anger is going to be essential for how we move forward in anger. When we start thinking, I mean, I'm haunted by James 1, 19 and 20. I have a long wick, but when I'm angry, I feel justified. Because I also struggle with people-pleasing, and so I have to be at least above 50% sure that I'm justified in feeling angry. But even if I'm 100% justified in being angry, my anger is not what's going to bring about the righteousness of God. Christ alone does that. And so in my, in my marriage, I don't know about you, but my spouse can anger me differently and more deeply than most people in my life. Anyone else relate with that? One, two, 150 liars, three, And some of you are like, well, you haven't met her mother. Right, okay, I get it. But usually, right, that, that anger. And so this, this gospel-informed realignment, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, begins by forming new habits. We are 100% disciplined to our habits. And to quickly say, okay, I'm, I'm trying, a new, I, feel, I feel mad. Give me a second. And a lot of times, and we'll talk a little more about conflict next week, but, but a lot of times in conflict, what happens is there hasn't been regular meaningful communication between both spouses, and so spouses typically will settle for bad, negative encounters, then no encounters at all. So if you're fighting a lot with your spouse, it may be that they're just absolute fools, right? Maybe. But it also may be that we need to be vulnerable and say, I miss you. I don't feel like we've been able to meaningfully connect in a while. The stress of life has been overwhelming. We need to connect. I miss you. Because a lot of times, fighting is the only way someone will slow down because it goes from being an important issue to an urgent issue when a fight happens. It's important, but we can ignore important. Urgent, then we have to dive in. So we've got to be careful the way we think about that. And so I want to give you nine things to consider. Don't worry, I'm not going to like... Go for 30 minutes each, but we're going to feed you afterwards, so you'll be all right. The nine basics, uh, just basics of gospel-centered communication. Number one is this, preach the gospel to yourself often. If you're not clear what the gospel is, God created you. You rebelled against God in sin willingly. And so God did what we could not do by sending his son Jesus to live a perfect life, to die the perfect sacrificial death, to be dead and buried, and by God's power three days later rise from the dead. You deserve hell, but through Christ, you're offered eternal life. And so sometimes, in order to stop acting like a fool, you need to remind yourself, I deserve hell. It's offensive, I know, but I'm a good person. Next to the perfection of God, you're not that good. I know it's offensive. I try hard. No, no, no. Your trying is only going to lead you towards condemnation. You resting in the fact that although you sin, God loves you, chooses to love you anyways, and restores you and redeems you through his son. He gave his only son so that you and I, through him, might be right with God. Remembering that usually reorients the the, the conversation or fight differently a bit. Preach the gospel to yourself often. If you're not clear on that, we can point you to books. The second thing to do is remember you're actually on the same team. So when you're communicating and you feel like you have to win or you lose, you're not fighting as a team member, you're fighting as an enemy or communicating. And again, I'm dressing more about posture today than I am even just saying in conflict. In general, how do you approach your spouse, your kids, your work environment, your brother and sister in Christ? Do you go there to be right or do you go to those conversations to be helpful? Hey, guess what, Christians? We're on the same team. Even if we don't agree on every element and maybe just would do things in a much different manner, we're on the same team. And being on the same team means that we need to be for each other, not opposed to each other. And that that, that hits me frequently because I have strong opinions, in case you can't tell about how church should be and how people should be. And I have a strong passion for reaching lost people, people who are far from God, people who don't yet know Jesus. If you're here today and you're not sure if you know Christ, I'd love to buy you a cup of coffee and hear about that. I love that. That's, and it's easy for me to be like, well, if you don't have the same passion I do, then I'm better than you. I don't. But I've had to learn that. We're on the same team. If all of us were accountants, then nobody would be discipled, except for maybe their budgets. It's not that accountants can't decide, but you understand. all right. Number three, be honest about what you need and how you feel. So many couples don't feel like they're allowed to be honest in their marriage. If you don't feel like you can be honest in your marriage or don't know how to be honest, get some help. Be honest about what you want and what you need. But run it through the grid. Is this like selfish or selfless? And sometimes, like with Steph, I'm like, this is completely selfish but blank. And so I'm prefacing it like, Look, this is probably ridiculous, but I need to feel heard here. So what you're saying, Casey, is in order to feel loved, you need filet mignon every night. Yes. No. Thank you for hearing me. I've not made that request, so it just popped in my head. So, Steak is good. So be honest about what you need and how you feel. Number four, use I statements, not you statements. I'm experiencing this as a rough conversation. I'm having a hard time understanding where you're coming from. I, Because most time, right, we get into the conversation and we start saying you. Well, you do this, you do this, you do this. And even if we're not fighting yet, we're, we're, we're talking and it's more about the other person rather than what you want. And so here's the deal. You might be feeling much better about yourself by communicating all their flaws and faults or needs or wants or whatever to them, being assertive, but you're not being assertive about the things that matter the most. When you walk into a conversation, communicate, own your stuff. Own where you are. This is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm experiencing. This is what I'm feeling. How do you see it? And then listen. Avoid absolutes. One of us in our couple has struggled in the past going, you always or you never. Absolutes are non-constructive. Avoid them. You can say, I often feel or I often experience you when you come home as irritable and angry and that you don't want to be here. That's a fair statement. Saying you never want to be here is unfair and that's not going to position you to feel heard or experience what's going on. A lot of us guys, we come home from work and our mind's still running and we need a transition period 10 minutes, five minutes. But you get home and if your wife stays home with the kids or has been working all day, she's like, I need a few minutes right? That's a communication thing. Hey, Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, when I get home, I get 10 minutes, Tuesdays, Thursdays, Saturdays, you get three hours, whatever, right? You adjust, you work together. <laughs> Just negotiating here. Um, but but you, you figure that out and say, hey, when you come home, I, I, I often feel like that your mind is somewhere else and that, that makes me feel like you don't want to be here. It makes me feel like. It doesn't say, you don't want to be here. You never want to be here, right? No, no, no. It says, no, the ways of a man's heart is like deep waters. A man of understanding he draws it out. I don't know if you're aware of this, but when you come home and behave this way, it makes me feel. I want you to know that when you go and you spend $300 on the credit card buying clothes or housing things without us having a discussion of that amount, it makes me feel unsafe or it makes me feel unheard or it makes me feel, it makes me feel these ways. How am I missing your position? What, what am I missing? And that gives you an opportunity to respond either like a fool and say, well, you've done, like you, you bring your sack of their faults. Or you say, yeah, I did that. I was feeling stressed out, and I felt like all my hard work deserved something. I felt entitled to it. I wanted it. Well, that makes me feel like you're not considering my position and my need for security. You're right, I see that. I, I didn't consider that at all. I didn't consider you at all. I'm sorry. And the guy or the wife says, do you still have the receipt? No, I'm kidding. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) what would that feel like? One of the safest places for you to communicate is in the covenant of your marriage. You're on the same team. And the guys, sometimes we just need permission to be like, I don't know what you're feeling. I don't get that. And you just say, I know you don't. I just need you to hear me. Or for some of us more emotional dudes who are married to ladies that aren't as emotional, like I can say stuff, like I'm not really sure what I'm feeling right now. I've got all these different feelings, and it's all kind of stuffed up and and she just hears me, right? Communicating, be on the same team, listening, avoiding absolutes, and then number six, listen to understand, not be right. Like I said, replace condemnation with curiosity. Which leads to number seven, repeat what you hear to ensure understanding. If I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying this. Is that right? Yes. Hey, I feel angry when you speak to me this way because blank, blank, blank. Right? Well, my intent is not to make you feel angry. My intent is I don't know how else to feel like I'm being heard. Number eight, take a break when needed. Timeouts are not endings. I have poorly taken timeouts because I trigger fight or flight and I'm tired of and so I'm like, I turn and walk away. Now, double standards in marriage, that's just something that has to die. Because if I don't like when Steph walks away, then who am I to walk away? Right? To communicate, like, I need a few minutes, I'm feeling very angry, and I know I'm not making sense. Or I just don't feel like this is going to be productive. Can we take, put limitations on it rather than punishment or retribution? Can we take five minutes and come back together and try again? And that being okay, doesn't mean the person's abandoning you. It means the person's coming alongside of you and want to honor Christ. And number nine, listen, I'm going to hammer this just for a second. Get counsel. If you're stuck, get counsel. It's not wrong. You're not broken or flawed. Well, theologically and practically, yeah, you are. All of us are. But it's not like this, you're lesser or worse or you're on the last. And most people wait way too long before they start getting check-ins and becoming aware of what's going on. As I shared last week, Dr. Vanderkay has generously offered a couple's check-in, plus an hour of his time just to help you see some areas of focus on. But, But realize, hey, we all have blemishes. We all have warts. We all have brokenness. We all have sin. And There's times if you're stuck and you're continually stuck, most people, when things aren't going well, they get more private. They hide. They blame. That's the pattern of sin. People who are redeemed understand they can come safely into the light and learn what's true. And ultimately, the fuel for the successful communication begins with the number one thing I said. Preach the gospel to yourself. I deserve death, but Christ has given me life. I have been so forgiven that I am called and compelled to be forgiving. The gospel is what transforms us. The gospel is what empowers us, the hope of Christ in his communication to a world that hated him. Was Father forgive them for they know not what they do. He led the way and empowers us to follow in that way. I want to give you homework. I don't normally give homework. A third of you are going to be thrilled right now. Because I know my flock. I want you to do an exercise. Each partner, every day, takes five minutes to talk about their day, what's going on, and everything, what they're feeling and all that. Guys will be like hungry, sad, sleepy, right? And but take five minutes each to communicate what's going. What's God taught you. What are you learning? You haven't spent time in the Word. And, and, and the other partner, here's, here's the tough part. Don't fix them. Ask clarifying questions. Hey, tell me more about that. Hey, that sounds really frustrating. What was that like? And then the other partner, take five minutes and start communicating. Guess what? Most of you don't really do this. You do it on the fly. You're not intentional. Take intentional time to connect with your spouse. And once you get that down, start doing that with your kids. Connecting relationally and emotionally and communicating. Use your words. Any of you have kids? Isn't that what we beg them to do? Use your words. And even if the words are wrong, in that environment, we're not there to judge or to critique but to draw out, to seek understanding. The ways of a man and a woman's heart is like deep waters. A man of understanding, a woman of understanding, it draws, they draw. Tell me more about that. Invite them to more. Just a little bit of homework. Ultimately, Jesus is honored through clear and caring communication. If we don't understand the gospel, it's going to be real hard to live a forgiving, gracious, loving, improving, enjoyable marriage. If we know Christ, there's no excuse to not begin to live more into that redemptive nature. Jesus is honored through your clear and your caring communication. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your kindness given to us through your son, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to know you through the way you've communicated to us, through your creation, through your law, through your son, and through your Bible. And We pray, Lord, that you would help us own and maybe repent of poor communication and, and, and say sorry and start moving forward. There's more of you to have. There's an infinite power that is awarded to us who, who seek it, and so, Lord, we ask for that. Redemptive power to take root in our home, in our communities, in our nation, and in our planet. Father, I pray as we continue our time of worship and as we move towards baptism, that you would give us a heart of worship and gratitude. Lord, I pray for any man, woman, or child in this room that has yet to place his or her hope and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of his or her sin. I pray that you would give them the grace and the faith to turn from their sin into hope in Christ. We need that, Lord. We ask for that.